Hey, Bluntheads, welcome to another edition of the Philly Blunt, a 2020 Philly Mag Best of Philly winner. In this episode, we sit down with Stephen Clasco. He is uh, the CEO of Jefferson, uh, the healthcare, the hospitals, the university, all that. He's been named the number two most influential person in healthcare, and he's probably the most honest healthcare executive in the country. Dr. Clasco was born in South Philly, started his career out as little Stevie Kent as a radio disc jockey on YSP. He got fired from that job and for some reason went on to med school, became an OBGYN, got his MBA, and the rest is history. In this interview, he spills the dirt on the healthcare dysfunction of government healthcare providers, insurance companies, and the pharmaceutical industries. He pulls no punches in discussing the impact of COVID-19 on Philly, America's healthcare crisis, the discrepancies between the healthcare of the wealthy and the poor, how we can change it, how we can make Philly a healthier city for all, and how he's changing the way medical students are selected and educated at Jefferson. This is easily the frankest and most informative discussion over a healthcare, government, Philly, and the insurance company you will hear from a true visionary in the industry. Don't forget to support our sponsors, Shy Vintage Sports, where you can get all your Philly and Philly sports teams gear. It's locally owned. It's local artist. Shy Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. And Johnville.com, where you get the observations, rants, and ramblings of a Philly born and raised Philly bloke. J-A-W-N-V-I-L-L-E. Johnville.com. Follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all as to Philly Blunt. Tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is our best friend. And please enjoy this interview with a true Philly visionary, Dr. Stephen Clasco. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Philly Blunt. My name is Johnny Goodtimes. I'm Reef. I'm Greg. And we are thrilled this week to uh, be sitting down with Jefferson Health CEO, Stephen Clasco. Steve, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Steve. I feel like a random old guy after like, you guys talk to the trash man, but I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> All right. Well, my we're, uh... we're in bed by this time. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Got you. This is a big night for me. I yeah. Mean, well, that's, that's true. The trash guy bought his, brought his own PR person. We're disappointed. You don't have <laughs> yeah. one. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I'm, I'm all alone. Um, don't worry, man. I had to have some caffeine just to, you know, so you're not alone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's because you were partying last night. It's uh, <laughs> So you, uh, you know, you, you said you're not normally up this late, but you used to be when you were a DJ in town. Is that correct? I was a midnight to five DJ for WYSP. Oh, YSP? I, I was little Stevie, Stevie Kent. Kent. Yeah, yeah my, my middle name is Kent. And I have all these great like jingles like I go to bed every night with little Stevie. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was my first uh, gig. And uh, I got fired from that job. And Why? Then, and then decides to become a doctor. Why'd they fire you? Oh, God, this is a secret I haven't told anybody. But um, um, what we do at the blunt. This is what we do, man. Okay, so, um, so uh, WYSP at that time was sort of like a top 40 station. And, uh, you know, so and, and the Midnight to Five guy was the lowest person on the totem pole. So I had to play all the really lousy songs, you know. Ben by Michael Jackson, the song about the rap. <laughs> so, um, so um, I illegally had a, a, a young woman with me at the, at the time, uh, my girlfriend, which was not, not supposed to happen. And I decided to play the long version of Lucky Man by Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, the 17-minute and one-second version. <laughs> uh, uh, for, for, for some undetermined reasons. And, yeah, um, yeah. and um, anyhow, uh, station manager heard it. That you know you're out, and uh, 
So I, I went to school at Lehigh University. I, I was a minor in chemistry because I had the kind of brain that could memorize stuff. So mm -hmm. I went back to my guidance counselor and uh, she said, well, you know, in this weird way, you could take the MedCats and apply to medical school. I said, well, why would I want to do that? So, well, because you're going to need a job and you're obviously not going to be a DJ. So that's a good point. And that's mm -hmm. how I became a doctor. That's an awesome guidance counselor. My guidance counselors were like, yeah, you know, you can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your guidance counselors were, yeah, you're yeah. doomed, you know. Yeah. yeah. You got, you got upper management there. potential, kid. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, well, yeah that's, that we have that's an awesome counselor. Yeah. <clears throat> You're, you're actually originally from Philadelphia, right? So you're not uh, just working here. You're not somebody that they brought in as a hired gun. You're more of a work your way up the ladder local guy, right? Yeah, born in South Philly. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, my parents moved to Overbrook Park and, you know, eventually did the Jewish migration to Havertown after a period of time. Mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. Went to Haverford High. And, um, and yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm I've been pretty much in Philly or the Lehigh Valley my whole life. I got exiled for nine years to Florida as the CEO of University of South Florida. Oh, man. Glad you and got by out. The way, if you want to know what's messed up about Florida, only in Florida could the University of South Florida be in North Central West Florida. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need to know about Florida. <laughs> uh, well, uh, That's I, not I, that maybe, catchy, Northwest Central Florida University. Right, true, right, true. Uh, well, I want to we want to kind of get into it because obviously we're 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 living in this you know the most bizarre year of our lives, hopefully. And um, you know, I know you said a couple months ago that there's no hospital in the country that could survive a year of what's happened in March and April. Well, now we're in August. Is there are these hospitals have they kind of figured it out after those first two months? I know you were talking more financially, but I'm sure it's, it was rough across the board, right? Look, I mean, you know, Jefferson's sort of this, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of it. We had, after Ebola, we had decided to, you know, you had Ebola, you had H1N1, you had SARS. It was a bit like God was like sort of taunting you and saying, hey, get ready for the big one. And so we really were ready. We had 60 days of, of PPE, of personal protective equipment, probably two or three times as much as anybody else. So we, we hadn't predicted a pandemic, but we were ready. And I guess what I'd say is um, we've, we had twice as many COVID patients as Cleveland Clinic and Mayo Clinic combined. Um, wow. And we continued to, you know, to take care of people with strokes and heart attacks. We had about the lowest employee infectivity rate in, in the country because everything we got was high quality stuff. But the financial stuff is really incredible because if you think about it, this gets into the whole where supplies come from. We had get, our gowns at one point went up from twenty cents a gown to eleven dollars a gown, and we used what? six thousand gowns a day. So you know, I don't know if any of you is a math wizard, but you can do <laughs> yeah, wrong crowd. But it's a lot. Yeah. How many thousands of gowns a day do you use? <laughs> That's a lot of money. And it went from twenty cents to eleven dollars. So, so if you want to know what's messed up about the healthcare system in America, here here's just a couple numbers. The American hospital systems around the country have lost somewhere around three or $400 million in this last four months. The insurers, United Health Group, just by itself doubled their profit from $3.3 billion the last quarter to, to $6.6 .6 billion. So we have this weird fragmented system where the insurers get the money up front and they get, they get incentivized to pay as little out. And we're sort of stuck when things like this happen. So, so, the you know a lot of my I just I just published a book uh, last week called Unhealthcare: A Manifesto mm -hmm. for Health Assurance with 
the head of General Catalyst, which is one of the largest VCs out in Silicon Valley. By the way, that VC just did a deal for $18.5 billion. Mm. And though neither I nor Jefferson was part of that, unfortunately. But (laughs) but I I think it's, it's an incredibly fragmented, and by the way, incredibly inequitable system. So, you know, it, if you just think about healthcare policy in this country, um, you know, the Affordable Care Act, in essence, gave a lot more people access to a fundamentally broken, fragmented, expensive, and inequitable healthcare system. And what hasn't been protested enough in this city, what really hasn't been protested with the, with the reawakening and re-understanding of, of racial injustice is the whole issue of healthcare disparities. In 1966, Dr. Martin Luther King said, of all the civil injustices, including voting rights and all that, the greatest, greatest uh, injustice is, is healthcare disparities. We're in a city with five academic medical centers that has a 21-year life expectancy discrepancy by zip code. If you go five miles west or east of the Rocky statue, 21 years different. African-American folks in certain zip codes died at a three or four times rate of, 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 of folks in different zip codes. And right. it's not because of any genetics. It's because of social determinants and, and food, education, housing. So what I'd like to see is, you know, look, you know, everything that we're protesting about makes sense. And, you know, the statues and everything else. But, but I think the underappreciated part has been the things that saved lives. Why, why are we not spending more time really railing against the social determinants and the healthcare disparities that are leading to, to folks dying uh, in, in, in certain zip codes? Yeah. So, hey, so I, I, I definitely you. wanted to go, no, go ahead, man. Uh, uh, thank you. Yeah. I, to, to, to touch on what you just spoke on, like as for someone that's on the inside and seeing this stuff, you know, from the outside, man, it just feels like this is by design. Um, the, the the way that things work with the healthcare and a lot of people in poor communities. Can you speak on why it is that way? Can you see another reason other than that it's supposed to be this way? No, well, I'll tell you exactly why. It's real simple. It's because of you know the system's been set up to help to help the corporations make a lot a lot more money, and and frankly, almost everybody in in policy and government hasn't had the courage to fight it. You know, I was on a, a, a cable news show, almost as cool as this show. On, on, <laughs> and I said, you know, um, I said, I said, um, you know, I think the pandemic has proven that Bernie Sanders was 100 percent right about the problem. And I think the pandemic has proven that Bernie Sanders was 100 percent wrong about the solution. Mm. Been consistent about saying, hey, guys, we're missing the whole point. We're giving all this money to insurance companies and hospitals and farm and whatever. And these people are dying in certain communities because we're not dealing with food, education, and housing. He gets an A for that. Mm-hmm. I think the pandemic has also proven his solution of, oh, let's just have the states and the federal government solve it because they're real, they really have their act together. Well, who's going to solve it? Well, well it's, it's, here's what it would take. It, there's a great uh, quote from Upton Sinclair. It's hard to get your, somebody to do something when their salary depends upon them not doing it. Mm-hmm. Just look at how we all get paid. Insurers, insurers get paid. Now, how much money can I get in at the beginning? How little do I have to pay out? That's how they get paid. Hospitals right. get paid by how can I get people into my hospital? So who's getting paid to make sure that, yeah. that, that a population in a poor zip code is getting the right food? Uh, the answer would be nobody. 
Mm-hmm. So, so, the, so, so the simple thing is 80% of the money, and remember, this whole, this whole name game, you know, we talk a lot about names lately and, and, and icons. We, we, these names are the wrong names. We call it, payers call, insurers call themselves payers. They're not payers. They're middlemen. But if they call themselves middlemen, then people would say, you know, hey, why are we giving you all that money? Let's cut them out. The only payers are the government, employers, and people. Just like mm. pharma. People, pharma loves to call themselves pharma. They're really drug companies. <laughs> but if you say drug companies, so, oh, I don't like drug companies. Pharma, I love pharma. I don't like insurers. Oh, I love, I love payers. So I, I think the, 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 the issue is that when you look at who pays the bills, we ought to be paid around making sure that the people in our community are healthy. And if we were paid that way, not, you know, how much can you keep in your insurance company or how many people do you have in your, in your hospital, then that would force us, first of all, to talk to each other. That would mm. force Penn and Temple and, and, and Jefferson. Now, some of that has happened. I will tell you, we have a great relationship with Temple you know, and, and, and Einstein and that whole North Philadelphia corridor. Mm-hmm. We'll announce pretty soon a $5 million gift from this amazing philanthropist uh, up in, like, in the Tioga area uh, where there's a 30 times increased risk of stroke among the African-Americans uh, in, in that area to actually put a stroke prevention center right there as opposed to what you normally do, take the $5 million, you know, put it downtown or put it up, you know, mm. it's going to be right there. Um, mm-hmm. This individual actually grew up right there. So, so I mean, I think, I think you start to see some of that. But look, um, the government could solve it if they wanted to. They just haven't had the courage because of the pharma lobby and the insurer lobby and the hospital lobby. It's been a corporate, by and large, it's been a corporate-run healthcare system, and you get what you pay for so can I ask, I, I had to spend nine days at Jefferson years ago, treated fantastic. And my bill, when I see it and it's sent to me, is $142,000. And then I see that Blue Cross at the time pays 34000 to settle it all. Like, how does that work? What is that system? Would I ever be able to negotiate it down to 34000 on yeah. my own? No, no, no. listen, I, 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 wrote a, <laughs> I, I wrote a book last year called Bless This Mess, A Picture Story of Healthcare in America. And the concept was people came down from another planet and couldn't understand our. So, I mean, if you were going to create a messed up system, if you said, how do we create, Greg, the most messed up system? You'd say this. Okay, you, Greg, are going to at some point need a doctor. In that case, you need a doctor. So you think, okay, so, you know, I probably need to negotiate with that hospital if it's going to be Jefferson. Oh, no. We're going to have your employer, not you, negotiate. Oh, so he's going to negotiate with you. Oh, no. Your employer's going to negotiate with a middleman. But wait, um, my doctor's at Jefferson. Oh, don't, don't worry about a thing. Okay. So now, <laughs> now you get sick. Your relationship was with your doctor in your hospital. Yeah. Okay. You literally get, when you got that $142,000 bill, it was from whichever insurance company you had. And what I love about it, it was 27 pages. Oh, yeah. And it was ridiculous. Yeah. It might as well have been in, in, in some other language. And then in the top, it says, this is not a bill. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so then why the hell are you sending yeah, yeah. something for 27 pages? Scares the shit out of you when you open it up. You're like, oh. This is not a bill, but it's a, 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 a damn lot of money, right? Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then unrelated to anything, six weeks later, you'll get what you got. We just paid them $34,000. And you're going... God damn, what's 142 minus 34? Yeah. You know, well, maybe it's all taken care of. And then a lot of people 
another six weeks later, get a bill from the hospital mm-hmm. for, let's say, $1,000 mm-hmm. with for right. no apparent reason. <laughs> right. Well, and, and the reason might have been because, well, and then when you called the insurer, well, I thought I had insurance. Well, your doctor didn't use the lab that we got two cents cheaper, which, by the way, didn't, we didn't really tell them about that. But now that's on you. you you'll have to work that out with, with oh. your doctor. But wait, I didn't negotiate this with my doctor. My employer negotiated this with you. Well, that's your problem. So, so this planet in my book said, this is the most screwed up system, not only in the, in the world, but in the galaxy. Because you can't <laughs> make this stuff up. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I mean, what's the, this, this seems so overwhelming, right? Like this, this system is so massive that, and in fact, I think that's part of the reason maybe that people don't protest is because it seems so massive that what do you even start to protest? Yeah, I'm a big protester. I wouldn't know what to protest. Yeah. What do you even, what do you even start to change? I mean, this is such a mess that it's like where to even begin, but it's beyond tearing it down and starting over. Well, look, I think, um, so I think we have a presidential election and I think that, um, you know, uh, won't get into what, exactly what the alternatives are. But, but the simple fact is, let's, let's take uh, Vice President Biden. You know, people should not allow him to get away with the Affordable Care Act is awesome and all we need to do is tweak it. That's wrong. And right. I think, you know, I think the fact is that, look, I mean, it's a very clear choice and the folks that are going to, you know, vote for 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 vice president biden i think they should not let him get away with a frankly mealy mouthed health policy i mean mm-hmm. you know um I, so i'm going to give you just sort of the science of this 40 years ago uh my mentor a guy named bill kissick wrote a book called medicine's dilemmas infinite needs finite resources sound familiar and he talked about nope. an triangle of access quality and cost it, do you guys remember your ninth grade geometry? I saw. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. the Philly. We're the Philly blood. Come you, on. you look like the geometry type guy. So, <laughs> yeah. so you, know, you increase access, you either have to increase cost or decrease quality. Remember the angles thing. Mm-hmm. So, and he mm. said, "Listen, listen. Literally forty years ago, um, if if you're if 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 anybody ever tells you you're going to increase access, increase quality, and decrease cost, and it's not going to be disruptive and painful, they're not telling the truth." So think about right. health policy in the last 12 years. President Obama said, oh, good news. The ACA will increase access, increase quality, and decrease cost, and it won't be painful. Well, that couldn't be true. You know, Trump said, I think it's going to be fantastic, terrific, unbelievable, and you. <laughs> Is that positive uh, thinking? You know, yeah, 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 it's going to be awesome. But, you know, so, so the fact is, it's not that complicated. You have to deal with pharma. We're the only country. And so when Senator Sanders says, we're the only only." country in the world that doesn't provide everybody access, dot, dot, dot. We're also the only country in the world that pays pharma retail for their prices, for, for their drugs. Canada mm. pays a third that we do. We're the only country in the world that has this thing called insurers that get 17 cents on the dollar to make sure the people that pay for the care, get the care and provide the care can't talk to each other. We're the only country in the world that doesn't deal with end of life issues. So, if, you know, if, if, you're, if you're close to dying and you're 97 and you're, on a, on a, um, and you're being intubated, in every other country you go to hospice. In this country, there's a lot of money to be made, whether inadvertently or inadvertently, by, by keeping folks alive. 
We're the only country in the world that pays their orthopedists and their dermatologists 10 or 15 times what they pay their family docs. And then they ask the family docs to quarterback the system. My family docs say, Steve, you want me to quarterback the system? Stop paying me like the kicker. You know, so I mean, so so the oh issue. Oh my God, is, I'm ready to hang myself right so, now. Well, no, I mean, I mean, we, we, could, we could we could solve it because remember, the government, CMS, Medicare and Medicaid, is by far the largest payer. Right. So, you know, I mean, so part of the issue is how we pay for care. It just if you're a dermatologist and you get three thousand dollars to take out, you know, a pimple and you're a neurologist and you get one hundred and fifty dollars to spend an hour and a half talking to a to a multiple sclerosis patient. That doesn't have to be that way. It's not like, right. you know, it's not like Moses came down from Mount Sinai and said that has to happen. So mm -hmm. I, I yeah. think I, I think it would take some disruption. Some people would be angry. You know, in fact, everybody would be angry. Mm -hmm. uh, but but, you know, if I like I was really disappointed when President Obama got elected in in um, in 2008. It's hard to remember this. But November 2008 and December 2008, before the inauguration, this country was really together. They really were. And and and, you know, when, when and w he had a very, very, very bold health care plan. And what happened is he got into the sort of mix master of Washington and got into the, well, that's all well and good, but don't, don't, don't upset pharma and don't upset the insurers and don't upset the American Hospital Association. And I think he got, you know, sort of mediocritized, frankly, because I think, I think he really wanted to do something, you know, much, much more um, transformational. Right. Um, I've I seen you say, I read you say it, I read it that you said it, and I heard you say it. Say you should say people are mad as hell. They're not going to take it anymore. So, are you talking just about the healthcare industry, or is that a more wider, broad? Well, look. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not an expert on a lot of things. I am somewhat of an expert on uh, DJing and '70s music, and uh, <laughs> I'll just stick to that. Uh, I'm pretty good. So, um, and by the way, you know, I'm on I'm on Sunny Hill Show every Sunday. And I pick. I love it. Love yeah. it. So good. Yeah, so, You're really so, doing like a great service to the community. You give yeah. so much knowledge. It's really I, a great I, time. I remember my song last week was first time ever I saw your face by Roberta <laughs> Flack for dating, uh, people dating. In the Shout out Mr. Sunny Hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Um, I, I th I, here's what I think. I think, um, yeah, I think consumers have to do, and I'm, I'm mad at someone I'm not going to take it anymore. Uh, I think employers have to start going chores. No, I'm not going to do that. Until you do that, and until some hospitals go under because they're not providing the right care. And I, I guess what I'd say also, think about how quickly, you know, Confederate statues and those kind of things have gone down. Mm -hmm. you know, right. I, like, like what took 10 years before we were still debating. Yeah. Like, why don't we have, so was going nowhere. So why don't we have that same thing about healthcare disparities? You know, why don't we have a protest and say, you know, you know, Jefferson Temple, Penn, Independence Blue Cross, Mayor, Governor, we demand that yeah. you figure out a way to all talk together and, 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 and make that. I mean, to me, there are, you know, you know, I don't want to get in the middle of, of, of other stuff, but there are more African-American folks that die or are harmed by healthcare disparities than there probably are from the police or, 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 or there are from, from, from a lot of the other things that are actually starting to change.
with that mm-hmm. issue, don't you think there are a lot of people really comfortable and they really like their health care, so they won't get involved into the conversation. And then don't, don't the people who are angry and protesting, they don't they don't donate the campaigns. And that's another thing. Like we, we don't have that financial power either. Yeah. Yeah. But look, I mean, I think, you know, if you look at the, if you look at the protests that were here, if you look at the protests at, in, in, in Portland or, or Chicago or New York, it's making change. Yeah, I haven't seen one yet. Why are African-Americans dying of stroke at 20 times? I haven't seen one like that. I've seen a hundred about the police. I've seen, you know, lots of them about, you know, Robert E. Lee and that kind of stuff. But, but you know, um, you know, taking down a Confederate um, statue is the right thing to do, but it's not going to save one person. Having a protest and saying, why in that same state are you allowing, you know, African-American folks to, to, to not get access to the kind of care they need would, would actually save people. I'm not saying right. it should be either or, but I think it should be both and. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have think, a lot of go ahead, Johnny. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think that you know when you when you talk about you know Greg says what we don't have money and so forth. Well, the people that are knocking down statues aren't donating the campaigns, but once they started going after Rizzo every single day, they moved Rizzo real quick. So I, yeah, I think, they moved Rizzo, but they didn't get any significant change like legislatively. They moved Rizzo, right, but that yeah, but I still think that the power of the people is is been recognized in the past two months as being more powerful than we had seen in a long time. Here's where I think you might get the mad as hell moment. Um, it's, it, it's a bad way to get it, but, you know, the, the, the core Medicaid population, the poor, the core, um, you know, underinsured or uninsured population has been a fairly stable population. And they sort of, you're right, they get sort of beat up and docile. But now with all the changes post-COVID and people out of jobs and whatever, it's going to be a lot of young people frankly, at least for a while, who were used to having, you know, insurance or whatever. Right. Now we're going to be in that system. And, and that's a lot of people. Yeah. That's millions mm-hmm. of people that are going to get, you know, put into a, a, a lousy system. And I hope that they take the same kind of passion that they've taken for some other social issues and follow Dr. King and, and say, you know, this is a grave form of social injustice. I mean, yeah. come up with something as you know, catchy as, uh, you know, as, as a few words of, of, you know, we deserve, we deserve to live, you know, um, we deserve to live and we deserve to have the money spent in our neighborhoods. Look, COVID, you know, here's, here's a real live thing you can get your arms around. We're going to have a vaccine. Okay. Or a few vaccines. Who's going to get those vaccines first? Mm -hmm. You want to have, you want to have an interesting discussion and make some demands you know, is it going to be, well, let's let's put all the vaccine things down in Lincoln Financial Field so the people from Gladwin can drive down and get them, but put none in the North Philly churches, you know. Right. Um, and that's the population that's getting I ravaged by right, COVID. Right. Or, or do you say, you know, who really got harmed? Okay, not generally, not, I don't want to, you know, oversimplify, but generally not, not the suburban folks from Gladwin. It was the people right. from, so let's start there. Right. Um, so, 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 you know, that's something we, you can grab your arms around right away because it hasn't happened yet. And, you mm-hmm. know, you know, go to the mayor, go to the, go, go to the governor, go to, you know, the, the, the pharma companies and saying, you know, we demand that we have some say in how this is being distributed. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you, um, I have a lot of friends, um, you know, men of a certain age um, that just don't, I'm one of them, to be honest, we don't, you know, really do the checkups and all that other stuff because of the intimidation of the healthcare system and not having insurance and things like that. How do we retrain people to understand that you need to go and get checkups and you need to really take your health seriously? I think we're seeing a lot more of it now because of this pandemic, but there's a lot of people that I know that haven't been to the doctor, again, myself included, in a really long time. By the way, men of a certain age, a great HBO Max uh, thing uh, with Ray Romano. and uh, Very good show. Very good show. Um, but, um, um, How do you find time to watch TV? <laughs> Jesus, great. Um, it's called Sleep is Overrated. Um, so, so look, um, here's what I'd say. What, what, the transformation needs to happen. The thing that I'm spending most of my time on with our colleagues in Silicon Valley and stuff is Healthcare needs to join the consumer revolution. So, so you know, one of my one of my gigs is I'm, I'm a fellow of the World Economic Forum in Davos, and the CEO of Bank of America last year said, 30 years ago, Steve, the two sectors that escaped the consumer revolution were banking and healthcare. And he stopped. He said, "Now you're alone." So, wow. just think, think about this for a second. I don't think any of you, you know. Uh, get up and say, I think I'm going to tell a bank this morning. <laughs> you know, right? Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. We went from 90% uh, in, in the bank to 90% at home. It, the, the iPhone and, other, and, and banking democratized banking. It made it easier for, 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 for folks to get in in, in a way that, that where, where, where folks weren't excluded. By the way, a, a Philadelphia firm, Vanguard, also did that. Where you know you can buy one share of something, you know, which which only only rich people could get stocks before, so and that's all mobile. So now if you have an iPhone, which everybody has, you can bank, you can have access to things, you can you know, um, you, you don't have that in healthcare by and large. So the, the future that I see is one in which um, almost all healthcare happens at home. One of our most successful, you know, I, we took over Philadelphia University, Philadelphia College of Textiles and Sciences, and one of our um, most successful things this year was a thing where we carbonized hemp um, to create uh, to create. Said, we said hemp. Hemp, yeah. Yeah, all ears. To to create to create mm -hmm. not to not to do anything weird with, but to create wearables. <laughs> not to do anything weird. <laughs> so, 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 so the concept. Remember, I'm the president of the university. No offense, bloodheads. No offense. Um, so, uh, right, not that there's anything wrong with it. But, um, <laughs> so, so look, I think um, you think about this. For many of you, your cars get better care than you do. You can get mm -hmm. an entry level car if it's a 2019 or 2020. And while it's in the garage, it's sending signals. And, you know, when you start, it says, oh, by the way, you know, by the way, Johnny, you know, um, you know, while you were sleeping, my right driver tire got a little flat. Could you fill it up? But people die in the thousands of atrial fibrillation while they're sleeping. So the concept, mm -hmm. the, the, what we're working on is a concept where you will have a wearable. It will continually send signals. When you wake up and let's say, I think everybody should have broadband and that's one of the things I've really pushed for. Broadband should be like plumbing and electricity. But, um, but you know, and you wake up and you have a, a, a visual, a, an Alexa or, or, or whatever, it might say, you know, well, I, I want to I hear the Johnny Good Times uh, podcast. Well, before you do that, your respiratory he's rate- He's breaking solo. Sorry. Someday, someday, someday I'll be able to get away from uh, these guys. 
yeah, 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 they're definitely dragging you down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, but seriously, I mean, that, that's that's the model that would democratize it. Um, and I, so let me give you an I mean, you probably don't talk about colonoscopies a lot on this show. Oh, but, um, no. but, okay. oh, you know, only we do that in our spare time. I mean, we could use a sponsor <laughs> if you want to sponsor something about it. We could talk but, about but, it. But, you know, you know, people do runs for colorectal cancer and all that. And, mm-hmm. you know, the whole issue once you're 50 is get a colonoscopy. And by the way, African-American folks, unfortunately, have a higher rate of colorectal cancer and have a lower rate of getting colonoscopies. Yeah. Well, that's because, Steve, in the hood, you're not letting some dude, you know, go, go back, <laughs> back there. You know what I mean? It's, it's a like, very prideful like, thing. I get know? it. It's like, where are those hands again? I know. Um, um, but no, but but if, if, if you think about it, we still in this country, 60 percent of reminders for colonoscopies are sent in the U.S. Postal Service. Mm. So, like, like what it should be is on your iPhone, mm-hmm. it should say, right. time for a colonoscopy. Yeah. A really annoying back. reminder. You, you might can't not get work rid out of in the middle of a date. Of course, you don't have to worry about it. You're, you're alone. <laughs> I'm yeah. alone at the bar. I have no dates. But, um, but, um, but, you know, and press here. And we've, we, we've yeah. been able to prove that you'll have the 70% more people do it. What's right. interesting about your comment, Reef, is that, mm-hmm. is that, believe it or not, that's the one, the, the screening now is not an access issue because the government will pay for it for free for anybody okay. Okay. because they realize it's a hell of a lot cheaper to pay for yeah. that um, yeah. than it is to, you know, God forbid, pay for the surgery. So, so I think so, a lot of people don't realize that yeah, or yeah. that, you know what I mean? Like there's there's right. lack of information and communication, you know, and there's a lack of education. Right. And mm-hmm. you're not, you know, most of you guys, most of the folks that. That, that, that have a higher risk, or as you said, are not the donors. They're not going to the galas. But let, let me give you something I'm, I'm sort of proud of with Jefferson. You know, every year pre-COVID, you have a gala. You know, we have one, Penn has one. And generally, galas have been, I want I, all you rich donors to come and give me money so I can get a bigger proton beam than Penn. <laughs> or, you know. yeah. we, we, for the last three years, have had our galas, 100% of the dollars have gone to uh, what we created, a Philadelphia Collaboration for Health Equities. Mm-hmm. You know, saying, you know, you know, you know, it doesn't matter whether I have a bigger proton than pen. You know, it, it re- what does matter is can I start to work with Esperanza, with the Hispanic community? Can I start to work with Project Home? Can I start to work with the African-American community? Can I work, can I work down in South Philly with the Southeast Asian community? Because every one of those has different needs. So, so and, and then the other thing is I'm proud of the fact that 25% of my personal incentive is reducing health disparities in, mm-hmm. in, in Philadelphia that I have no control over, mm-hmm. but it forces me out there to really start to, to do some of this stuff. So, so when you say, how can you change things? That, that's how you start to change things. You, you, you know, you take the big corporations here and, you know, it should be Comcast. And we're doing a really interesting thing with Aramark, which is a big, uh, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're together. We've created a company called Eversafe, where we're okay. creating Jefferson seal of approvals for hotels and, and other things around safety. So that's where Philadelphia, Philadelphia, has really been hurt by the fact that we spent a lot of time beating each other up. It shouldn't be me versus Penn or me versus Temple or Comcast versus this or IBC versus Aetna. Right. It should be how do we make Philadelphia you know, America's healthiest hometown? And we haven't had that kind of we, ha- we haven't had that kind of, of mindset. Maybe post pandemic we will. I saw one of the things you did, um, someone who was in the hospital for an extended period of time, you're big about like virtual rounds which is really important to me. The rounds happen at like 5.30 in the morning. They wake you up and the doctors talk to you. You have no idea what they're saying. 
So then your your family members come in later and ask you what's going on and you really don't know. But you are a proponent of virtual rounds where you can uh, anoint, I could say Johnny and Reef, you yeah. guys virtually can watch my rounds happen and ask questions and stuff like that. So we're all they, hearing they, it. They can watch your colonoscopy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, <laughs> I'm good with that. We're family. I'm good with that. No, no. Um, look, I think, to the left. <laughs> <laughs> I, anesthesia, he doesn't need anesthesia. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we, we had done a pilot. Wait, is this getting weird? Where's my hip? <laughs> we had done a pilot exactly to your point. I mean, again, in 2020, I mean, you think about it. You know, God forbid your mom or dad is in an NCI cancer center, let's say in New York, and let's say you're in Philly and your sister's in Dallas. To your point, you're still calling your mom at six o'clock in the morning saying, Mom, I'm concerned. What did the doctor say? I don't know. He came in at 5 30 in the morning with six young people. Look, they just got out of high school. I think they're called residents, but I'm yeah. confused. Well, you know, so, so it might take you three days. Um, that's it. You know, so the question becomes so what we did was we did this pilot where we said, Okay, um, you know, Mrs. Jones, who would you like to communicate with? Well, my son is in, in Philadelphia, my daughter's in Dallas. We sent them HIPAA compliance software. We texted them when, they, when we made rounds and then they were part of rounds. Now, what was really interesting about this, I got to be an undercover boss because the day before Father's Day, I had emergency lung surgery at Jefferson. Wow. Uh, Thursday night and my kids were supposed to come down on Friday. One kid was coming down from Alaska, one kid was coming up from Tampa and one kid was coming down from um, New York. And all they knew was the dad had um, a, emergency surgery, but I had signed up for virtual rounds and five minutes out of anesthesia. I'm with my, my surgeon, Dr. Nate Evans, and I have my three kids on three different iPads and Dr. Evans is telling them I'm going to be okay. Five minutes out of anesthesia. Wow. Now, by the way, all three you of them. You must have been saying crazy talk yeah. then. Well, well, all three of them said that I offered them new cars. Which is why yeah, yeah. That was really a stupid move. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but, 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 you know, so, so here, but here's what, what's, what's interesting about it, and, and you brought up a good point, Greg, is, is, you know, they did a Forbes article about this, of how cool it was. We, 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 we partnered with this company called Blue Jean Software, and I felt good for about 24 hours. And I said, well, wait a second. There's nothing amazing technologically about this. We could have done this three years ago um, with FaceTime. Yeah. Five years ago with, um, with, with Skype or 15 years ago with a phone. <laughs> but patients allowed us to provide that lousy service. And, and, and you know, so I, I, I wrote an article that got me in a lot of trouble because I said patients have way too much respect for the healthcare system. And this mm. is what I said. If you have an appointment at eight o'clock, to see me, I'm an obstetrician, so you probably wouldn't see me. But but if you have if you have a, a, an appointment at eight o'clock to see me, and I show up at eight forty-five, ninety-five percent of the time the patient will go, "That's okay, Doctor Clasco. You probably had an emergency." Mm. Mm -hmm. That's true about twelve percent of the time. Mm -hmm. The other eighty-eight percent of the time, you know, the doctor might have been at you know at a lecture or breakfast, whatever, but it's tolerated. Because it's healthcare, you wouldn't tolerate that, you know. Pick it from your realtor, from your banker, from, from anybody else. You say, "Hey, damn it, I'm going to somebody else." So what has to happen? We have to recognize that that yeah, you know, it's great being a doctor, and we care about folks, and you know, I'm very proud of what we do. But you need to demand a level of uh, you know a level of customer service. That if you don't get that, go to somebody else. And I think what people have to get over is if you need an arthroscopy, 
you know, if, if you have if you have an an MCL or you know whatever, the fact is there's 50 really good orthopedists in this city that you can see. If somebody's not being nice to you, go to another one. Now, God forbid, if you have a family member with pancreatic cancer, I mean, we have one of the top pancreatic cancer surgeons in the world. That's a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. He happens to be a really nice guy, but let's say he wasn't. That doesn't matter because, <laughs> I mean, you have to live for an extra couple of years. So right. I, I think that the, that the, that the, that's what we have to get over. Yeah, but it almost goes to the uh, the Seinfeld episode where we think there's this chart and you all talk it and it's like, oh, this person's unruly. They don't respect doctors. And so yeah, you know, this is a whole power struggle where we feel like doctors have this power and you don't want to rock the boat too much. Yeah, you got to get over it. I mean, that's part of the man. <laughs> telling me you know, I mean, I'm, I mean, you know, I, I just uh, look, I, I, I have a friend um, who is that? I, I, I used to have these patients. You probably have more than one. I, you know, as, this as, guy. As, as a gynecologist, I, I would get these patients, these young patients to come and say, I have a friend that forgot <laughs> to take her pills. You know, so, right. um, I, I, I have a friend who, um, who literally, he will get five estimates if he gets a dent in his car right. and not trust anybody. And say, right. I think I'm getting ripped off and I don't think they're good. I went on Yelp and okay. <laughs> and and I'm not even gonna mention the hospital, but but he he was about to have cardiac surgery at a hospital, and it wasn't any of the, you know, it wasn't Temple Pendant at a hospital that like like no way. Like, <laughs> no, no way would you choose way. to go like, there. <laughs> and and I'm thinking, and I said, like, I said, look, I don't like I don't care if you go to Jefferson, but like, why are you going here? Oh, well, that's where my family doc sent me to. I said, like, we'll get five opinions for, uh, for your car. And I'm just right. telling you, this is not the place to be. And he's like, yeah, but won't it get him mad? I said, you're, you're right, right. Dude. And it's in your permanent record. Dude. He, this is probably the guy he plays golf with, you know? I mean, you know, I mean, so, so I think, look, I think it's, so I guess what I'm telling all your listeners, Greg, is the reason the healthcare system is messed up is because it's your fault. There you go. That's That's the money. There's the money quote. We're putting that on all the promos. That goes on the promos. I have to ask. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. I don't know if you can talk about it or want to talk about it, but the Hahnemann situation. What are your thoughts? How does that happen? Can it happen again? All right. So, all right. Um, now I'm going to get in trouble, but you might, you might not know this, but I, I was the dean at, mm-hmm. at, at Drexel, you know, uh, with Hahnemann. So he's a Hahnemann I, grad too. I went to Hahnemann. Yeah. So, um, and, and I wrote an article. That's why I, I asked if yeah, you, you know, yeah. in 2007, medical college of Pennsylvania was owned by tenant a for-profit out of Dallas. And literally overnight they closed that. And, and I wrote an article called, um, uh, collision course, the privatization of graduate medical education at Drexel university college of medicine. What's sad is I <clears throat> same article 13 years later in 2020. So if you want to know again what's wrong with the system, um, you know, we're trying to merge with Einstein and the FTC is blocking that. I can't talk about that, but Einstein is a safety net hospital. It's the last of the non-state safety net hospitals, right? Hahnemann went bankrupt. Mercy is going bankrupt in West Philadelphia. What's a safety net hospital? So it's really where the majority of their of their cases are Medicare, Medicare. Medicare. Okay. So okay. it's the last place that, that you know that, that people can go. It's a great hospital. So, so the it's cost us fifteen or twenty million dollars in legal fees to basically merge with Einstein. 
which is, is not, not making any mind. Now think about this. Hahnemann was owned by a for-profit company out of Dallas called Tenet. They decided that they couldn't make it work. They sold it to a hedge fund guy and his wife from California. Yeah, Joel Friedman. Joel Friedman. And, and, and the fact is, the FTC, nobody it was like, what could go wrong with that? Right. Yeah, right. 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 Yeah, right. Jefferson and Einstein emerging. <laughs> time out, time out. <laughs> like yeah. statism. Yeah, I don't know about Jefferson place. They haven't been around long. We don't know much yeah, about exactly. them. So it's like, yeah. it's like opposite. Yeah. Don't we have a hedge fund guy we can sell oh, this to? Oh, good. Joel Freeman and his wife are taking over Hahnemann? <laughs> that can't go wrong. Yeah. Jefferson and Einstein merging? Oh, that, there's got to be something wrong with that. So, yeah. so look, I think the Hahnemann thing, um, the, the Hahnemann thing w- 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 was sad for just so many reasons. But um, the only thing I'll say is, you know, everybody was caught a little bit with their, with their pants down on that. It's not like, it's not like that was – Oh, in a week he closed it. I mean, I'm, I'm not here to defend Joel Friedman, but but you know, <laughs> it was clear that 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 was non-viable for about five years, and you know, it was a for-profit that was paying its taxes, and it was sort of a see no evil, you know, speak no evil, hear no evil, and maybe it'll just be okay. So I think, look, I think we have a big problem in this city, you know, around you know not only just the poverty issue, but you know, a lot of the hospitals are going to be bankrupt when 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 this whole COVID thing is done. I mean, you know, you know, Jefferson takes care of probably as many uninsured people as Temple and Einstein. We we we've had a uh, we we really been a good steward of our dollars. We're, we're going to make it, but um, we probably lost six or seven hundred million dollars. You know, during the pandemic. So that's got and and we've done it. We're one of the only places that has not furloughed or laid off one of our 35,000 employees. I mean, that's, I don't know if that's, if that's sustainable. A lot of it will depend on whether or not we can, you know, get some government help to keep our employees intact. But, um, you know, there's something wrong with that system where that can happen. You're, and, you're, and, and, you know, the Hahnemann thing was a tragedy because, right. you know, it took care of. Now, what I will say is there's a lot of heroes you know, if you remember, Bernie Sanders was here and and, yep. and Snap was picketing and people are going to be out in the street. Well, people aren't out in the street. And the reason people aren't, aren't out in the street is not because of Steve Klesko. It's because of heroic nurses in our emergency department and Temple's emergency department and Einstein's emergency department that worked overtime, that continue to work overtime and took all those uninsured patients. And you know what? They're getting care. So, you know, so I think that, that, that the, the, oh my God, you know, you know, there are going to be people delivering on the street. We doubled our, we doubled our obstetric volume in literally two weeks because we got, you know, so many of the Hahnemann patients. Most of them were uninsured, a lot of high risk patients. We have the largest refugee clinic in, in the city. You know, it's, it's, it's a whole nother political issue, but this whole debate of, you know, should we, um, should we insure pregnant, you know, um, undocumented folks? Um, right. I, I always laugh because it's like, um, you know, well, I don't, I don't care what it's, you do. It's very ridiculous, right? But yeah, well, because like, like here's the fact. I'm going to see them and I'm going to see them like everybody else because like it does, it's not like President Trump's going to say, oh, you're not going to deliver in nine months. I'm going to do an executive order. That's way above, <laughs> you know, above his pay grade. So, right. so it's much better if I see them and give them that kind of care even if I didn't care about them, it's frankly better financially 
because by not seeing them and having them show it to my ER at eight months, there's a much higher risk that the baby's going to be in the neonatal intensive care nursery or whatever. So some of these debates are just ridiculous. If somebody's here in this city and she's pregnant, it just doesn't matter because somebody needs to see her. And not seeing her doesn't mean she's not going to deliver. It means she's going to deliver in somebody's emergency room at a much more expensive way, in a way that 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 gives the, that baby much less of a chance of being okay. I wanted to ask you about this uh, logic, right? I mean, you know, I mean, you know, there's some of this is. I mean, it's not like I'm, I'm not any smarter than anybody else, but some of the stuff is just logical. Well, you, you, well, you seem to have you seem to have empathy, which is something that's very rare in the oh. you know. If we could segue right there, that's my question. You are talking about doctors and medical students throwing out, once they reach a baseline of qualifications, throw out test grade, throw out their grades, their test scores, and you're looking for empathy and emotional intelligence. And I want to ask, I want to ask about what that means, but also Jeffrey Lurie, when he hired Doug Peterson, talked about emotional intelligence. So are you guys either buddies hanging out or is there some leadership management book that we all need to read that's talking about emotional intelligence? Where did this term come from? And why is it why is it important? Uh, all right, so so I can't speak to Jeff because there are some issues there that. that oh, 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 and somehow we're talking about doctors not being empathetic, communicative, and creative, right? Like, duh, okay? And part of that is because when I went to medical school and I had all that hair um, <laughs> in the 70s, um, we didn't have these things, right? And, and if I could memorize 19 reasons somebody had a he headache and Reef could only memorize 15, I was a better doctor than him. But now the 19 are right here, Pretty soon, the Google Brain or an IBM Watson that is so. So, if you want to really know a tale of two cities, here's here's an interesting fact. In 1978, four percent of matriculating medical students were African American males. In 2018, four percent of matriculating medical students were African American males because we doubled down on everything that hadn't worked. So, we started a medical school when I was in Florida, where we chose students based on self awareness, empathy, communication. Uh, skills and cultural competence. Partnered with Southwest Airlines, because that's sort of how they pick pilots once they reach a certain level. And a company that does all the interviewing for Google called Telios, which is based out of Wharton. Google, Google doesn't want to see your transcripts. You know, my son, my son went to Brandeis. He, he got the degree that gave you the least chance of ever getting a job, uh, American Studies, in the year <laughs> that gave you the least chance of ever getting a job, 2009. The chances of not living in my basement were 0.0%. You know, he got recruited by Google. They didn't want to see his things. He got a job at Google, ended wow. up not taking it, became an actor. That's a whole other story. Whoa, hey. <laughs> but. But, but the fact is, so if you want to understand the tale of two cities right here in Philadelphia, there are people that spent $100,000 to get little Johnny or little Mary five Princeton reviews and three tutors so yep. they can memorize this stupid enzyme cycle. Oh, by the way, that's without even Photoshopping their kid's head on a crew kid. Or right. <laughs> so, so, so. And then there's another kid with a, with a, with a battered Barron's book that... Um, you know, that really, you know, wants to go and, and, and practice. That's not an even playing field. 
What's amazing right. is when we did that, when we did that medical school around what we call holistic admissions of choosing kids based on self-awareness, empathy, communication skills, and cultural competence, we, we literally tripled the diversity. Wow. And, and, and the reason it matters is I, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, so I've delivered about 2,200 babies in my career. Nice. And, and it's incredibly, <laughs> nice. Easy. Um, uh, it's incredibly easy um, delivering a, a normal seven pound baby to a normal 28 year old. I mean, it's easy for me to say I'm on the other end, but it's it, it, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't tell my yeah, wife that. Yeah, yeah. You're going to get a lot of angry, angry. Yeah, uh, you got to, yeah, you got to, yeah, yeah. We'll um, have to complete um, that one out. Um, <laughs> but it's incredibly difficult delivering an unscheduled Down syndrome baby. And and a hundred percent of the time, the first question out of that mom is, "Doctor, what does it mean?" And I've watched good good doctors that memorized a lot of stuff talk about the chromosomal abnormality or the medical complications. I've watched empathetic doctors get right away, "What does it mean?" means, "What does it mean to my image of a perfect baby?" And right away, we'll say, "This is a beautiful baby, and I'll get you together with other people that have had beautiful babies like that." That thirty seconds. Is the difference between how that mom, in some cases, that dad in principle, the baby. Now, yeah. here's why that's so important and why I'm so passionate about it. There's a 100% chance that three years from now, there will be an IBM Watson or a Google Brain or something else that will take a picture of that baby that I deliver, go on its database of, you know, 28 million things and say, this is this genetic abnormality. But he, she, or it will never get the what does it mean means what does it mean to my image of a perfect baby. Mm -hmm. So I think we one of the one of my mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Has been trying to get a revolution with the AAMC with the American Association of Medical Colleges to try to really bring those skill sets in. We would get more people from of color. We would get more people from different neighborhoods. We would frankly get more people that really want to be doctors for the right reason. And it doesn't matter if you, you know, were the top kid in organic chemistry, unless you're going to be a physician scientist and do research. Totally different story. But if you're going to go and be a family doc or an obstetrician or a surgeon or, or psychiatrist in West Philadelphia or Society Hill or wherever it's going to be, it, that doesn't matter. So to me, um, I don't know if you guys know um, the company Alibaba. Yep. Uh, so the, yeah. So the, the guy that started that company, Jack Ma, you know, had, had, a, had a great uh, quote about this. He said, when we when we created cars, we didn't try to get humans to run faster. We, when we created planes, we didn't try to get humans to fly. Computers will always be smarter than doctors, but they'll never be as empathetic and wise. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's how we ought to look at it. You know, technology yeah, is powerful. Yep. Of what we do. I know you've. I know you have in the past tried to uh, predict the future. I saw your uh, TED talk where it was 2014, and you were predicting 2024, and you did in fact predict the Eagles Super Bowl victory. Yeah. Uh, however, you predicted it with Chip Kelly as coach, so uh, it's a little bit of a you. You kind of got it right, kind of got it wrong. But um, what do you see in 10 years from now? Um, because obviously, going through this COVID thing, that's hard to predict because we can't. It's hard for us to see next week at this point, but. Do you, I guess, try to narrow the question a little bit. Do you think we're going to be in a better place or a worse place in terms of the medical profession in 10 years in the healthcare industry? So, so here's, here's what I think. I think, um, let's say it's, you know, it's um, August of 2030 and this novel RNA encapsulated virus uh, hits, hits Philadelphia. 
I think people will panic for about five minutes remembering 2020 and then realize, oh, it's not a problem. Why is it not a problem? Because they all have a wearable. Oh, by the way, we've now sent you, since we, we know this is happening, we've sent you your 3D printer uh, 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 mask, uh, what, you need, what you need for masks. Uh, we have drone delivery of the drugs that you need. <laughs> right. um, literally, while you're sleeping, we're taking your respiratory rate and your temperature. If for any reason we think that you shouldn't come to work that day, um, literally, um, we will send a note to your employer or whatever that you're not coming to work that day, and we'll drone deliver whatever medication you need. Everybody has broadband, and since you know, since since most school is 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 a hybrid, uh, that isn't a problem. So, so the simple answer is, I believe that what will happen is what's happened with um, with retail. You know, what's happened with how we consume media. Um, that you won't have to go, just like you don't have to go to a store to, or even to a red box to get a DVD. It's all there. Most of your healthcare will happen at home. Most of it will be customized because um, your genome will determine what you do. So it won't be, well, 100 people that look like you, this is what we give. It would be exactly what we'll give for your genome. I think there are some things I'm worried about with that future. Um, We've started a, a, a group called a Center for Responsible Innovation. Plus, um, think about this. If, if in the Industrial Revolution, we knew that the internal combustion engine would cause climate change, we might have made some changes. In the social media revolution, if we knew when that cute Mark Zuckerberg with his, you know, with his hoodie came, <laughs> that, Look, I want to create this company so you can see your grandkids on, on Facebook and date. Uh, so, oh, isn't that cute? Oh, and by the way, it's going to affect elections and spew hate. I forgot to tell you that. <laughs> right. so, um, we, 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 we might have changed some things. So we know, you know, what, what, what we call the fourth industrial revolution of, you know, AI, robotics, genomics, drones, 3D printing has some incredible benefits where almost all of healthcare will happen at home with virtual assistants. It also has some huge potential for harm. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and it has, you know, so the question is, is all if all it's doing is making the wealthy healthier, then everything we talked about is a disaster. You look Amen. At, you look at yep. policing, you know, we said, oh, well, it'll be great because if AI does the policing, um, then that'll be fair, right? Well, no, because the way AI does, it went to the last 10,000 arrests. And as luck would have it, 8,000 of those arrests happen just coincidentally to be African-American people with hoodies. So that robot thinks, oh, okay, well, that's who I should stop. Right. So, right. so you know, so what we have to, so what we have really, our, what we've really pushed is we have to bring ethics and the community into the fourth industrial revolution at the very beginning and say, what can go wrong? And how do we make sure that it's really working for the social determinants of health? So here's a real optimistic possibility. We talk about food deserts, you know, and that, you know, we, you know, we were talking about like why, you know, why people, well, you know, the difference is, you know, if you're in one zip code, you might be next to two Whole Foods and a Trader Joe's. And if you're in another zip code, the only place you can walk to is a bodega with Fritos and Coke, you okay. know, and the, the chances that your kid's going to get diabetes are a hundred point zero percent. So, so, um, but what about this? What if you said people that are on government assistance for food that are willing to use that government money only for healthy food because now everything's barcoded 
we'll give you 50% more assistance. Mm-hmm. And by the way, we'll drone deliver all that food. In fact, maybe Amazon could do that for free because pretty soon 95% of Amazon deliveries will be drone delivery. You would obliterate food deserts. You would mm-hmm. obliterate food deserts. So, so the key is going to be, the key is going to be, as this technology takes hold, one that I worry a lot about is genomics. Um, because this whole issue of... Oh, We're all just staring like genomics, what? <laughs> Come on, Greg, you don't need genomics. <laughs> I'm going to give you a late night scary thing. So, you know, you get those Christmas things, Ancestry.com, yeah. so you can find out stuff you already know, right? You know, right. Like, oh, really? I'm, I'm, I'm a Jew. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, thanks so oh, my much, God, right? the, the family yeah. tree's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so... so um, so what you don't realize is when you go online and you set up your thing, it's got what it, it, it acts like you're just getting the, you know, the newest FaceTime thing. Um, and you have that 20 page thing that nobody reads and you go, I agree. What you <laughs> just agree to is that they can share your genomics. Mm-hmm. So here's a really bizarre tale. 30 or 40 years ago, a lot, you know, people who have infertility, especially people who have male infertility, you know, there'd be, there'd be sperm donations. And a lot of, somebody decided a long time ago that the ideal person you'd want for 23 year genes is an OBGYN resident. Mm. Um, um, and so a lot of OBGYN residents did, did these, you know, the, the, these things for people with male infertility. Okay. I've gotten three calls from obstetricians around the country. They got those Ancestry.com or 23andMe, you know, Christmas presents and, and, you know, did their thing and found out who their ancestors were or whatever. And then a year later, got it. Somebody contacted them. I think you're my father. Wow. Because what happens is what you've consented to is, is if you're on the database, we can share anybody that you have a 97.5%, you know, match with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, wow. what, what's amazing is not one of those people that called me ever, ever, ever would have done that if they knew that. So right. what, what I'm really pushing for is really enhanced consent for anything related to your gene and your genome. Because, because that, that's your whole life. That'll never change. Somebody can steal your medical records, you know, and what are they going to find out? What your glucose was or, you know, what you were, you know, here, right. that, that changes. Right. But somebody gets your gene. So here's what's going to happen and what I worry about. You know, you'll have companies, whether it's Google or whatever, go to young folks, 18-year-olds, and say, for $100, you know, we'd like to get your gene. We're doing a study or whatever. You know, $100, that's a fair amount of, you know, Shake Shack burgers and, and you know. it's <laughs> a lot of natty lights, a lot of natty yeah, lights. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what could go wrong with that, right? And you're, you're 18, and sure, you know, you, I'll give you anybody for, for $100. So, so here's my saliva, and, you know, it's great. Um, and you sign something that you didn't read. You're now 30 years later and you're 51, and it turns out that they've sold that to Prudential Life or, or different insurance companies. And all of a sudden, turns out your subtype has a higher risk of some disease. And all of a sudden, you've had a life insurance policy for 30 years, you're healthy, and they drop you. Mm-hmm. We don't even have to tell you why they're dropping you. Right. So, I mean, the, you know, that's real. And that, that's, so I think, you know, we have to start to make sure that these things that can really help people, because they can be incredibly helpful if, as your doctor, first thing I'm seeing is your genome. And I can, the, the positive part of this is every time there's new data about your subtypes, 
then I can send you some information about this is how you can be healthy. Here's a question for you guys to think about. There's a thing in San Diego that was developed by the guy that invented, that, that discovered the human genome, a guy named Craig Ventner. I'll tell you a funny story about Craig. Craig uh, invented the human genome, became a billionaire. And um, I invited him when I was the dean of Drexel to be our commencement speaker. Uh, 1999-2000. Um, now, I remember the Sixers were a pretty good team that, that year. So, so um, what we do with our commencement, we're all wearing black ties, and we, we, we invite the commencement speaker to any restaurant he, he or she wants to go to in Philadelphia. Usually, you know, it's the prime rib or one of them. He wanted to go to Pat Steaks. <laughs> but he had gone to Penn as an undergraduate, and, you know, so we go in this Hummer limo, all wearing, you know, you know, we're all middle-aged white guys, or you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, we know. Yeah. I know the Italians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, look, at, look at these DBs rolling in. <laughs> so, so we're all on black tie, and people start gathering around. It's a Friday night. People start gathering around, and we get out. And honestly, God, people start throwing like rolls at us. <laughs> we literally had to get out. We literally had to go to another restaurant. It turned out that every Friday night, Alan Iverson and his boss would come, would come, and people were excited, and they were all excited. Here come, here come these scientists. Movies, you know, and they were I mean, but over a drink, what hit me, I said, you realize, Craig, you just invented the human genome. And you couldn't go to the restaurant you want to go because you can't right. Right. basketball. Because you're not out of the house. There's something right. wrong. Right. Right. Oh, God. Very oh, yeah. That's now. a great, great yeah, story. Now is he started something called a Center for Human Longevity. Now, let's assume this is true. So here's a question for you guys. Uh, the goal of the Center for Human Longevity is they will take all your genomes, your what's called your neutral biome, your they'll do you know a biopsy of some of your bowel and you know find everything about you, and they'll be able to predict within a range of when you'll die and what you'll die of. So the question, the question is, probably need something stronger than what you're drinking, but the question, yeah, it's a light beer. Um, uh, the question is, would you do it? No. No. Mm. No. So most people your guys' age would say no. Um, I think probably about 50% of people my age would say yes. Um, you know. Um, How old are you? Well, I'm 66. All right. Oh, wow. Man, you look great for your age, brother. Yeah. I'm an old guy. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, and part of it is, you know, because, you know, I mean, like, if I really knew like I was gonna die like next year, I might not want to be on with you, Jokers. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that's understandable. That world's crazy because if if they know you have a predisposition for lung disease at like 52, you're gonna get like when you're 17, you get all this college brochures. You're gonna have all these lung doctors just sending you literature and stuff yeah, at like true, yeah. a year before 51 or whatever. Well, you know, the other thing that's really interesting technologically is. Um, so at Jefferson, we're doing this thing. Around, so, you, you know, you guys all know, obviously, what 3D printing is, right? You know, mm -hmm. yeah. um, so we actually have a study to do 3D bioprinting, where you can actually take cells and make organs. Oh, wow. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the concept behind that, and, and I think it will happen in your guys' lifetime, is that, you know, if, if one of you needs a kidney, instead of trying to find, you know, some donor, 
they'll just take your stem cells and we can print your kidney. Well, that'd be great. Um, yeah. Wow. So, you know, um, so I think that, that that's the kind of stuff that's incredibly exciting about all this technology is it'll, be, it'll just be a whole lot easier. How do we donate to your campaign, man? You should be running this country. You're talking logic about no, all kinds of more, stuff. He can get more done. He can get more done at hmm. uh, Jefferson than he can. Do you like government. golfing? Do you like golfing? Hey, you, you know got to say that stuff. Say that for the, yeah. I, I, um, um, oh, yeah, sure. I, I, let's put it this way. I got people, people gave me some great advice as far as golfing. Because I'm really bad, and they said it's okay if you suck as long as you suck fast. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I just had this whole argument about pace of play last night. But but oh. um, but but I, like the problem is, you know, um, I like sports where like like basketball. Nice thing about basketball, if you're not shooting well, you can elbow people. You can, you know, um, with golf, like you can only get mad at yourself. Yeah. You know, and, There's nowhere to go. You and, can't blame and, it on us. Whatever you blamed on us earlier, you can't do that at golf. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and yeah, the matter you get, the worse you do. Um, yeah. It seems like um, it's four hours, man. It's like, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's, yeah. So I, I, um, I'm, I'm not a big fan. Like, you know, you put me in the Dominican Republic with a cigar. Yeah. And a beer, and I will definitely sure. golf with you. Sure, sure. Yeah. 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 All right. So, Let's get this guy right. in a blunt, huh? Let's yeah. Go. Um, all right. What is uh, we're going to take it to the Philly Blunt? This rapid fire questions, rapid fire. That's how we close every interview out. Rapid fire, quick as you can think. Yeah. All right. What's your uh, what's your karaoke song? My karaoke song, "Tired of Being Alone" by Al Green. Mm. You said you're an Overbrook Havertown uh, guy. I'm assuming you've been to the Tower Theater. Best concert at the Tower. Best concert at the Tower was actually James Brown, um, and wow. I got to go backstage. And I got to actually see the, uh, you know, the way you started Showtime. I feel so good. I could kiss myself. I do nice. that for every faculty meeting now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So I creeped your Twitter. You follow 800 people. Only one musician or band in 800 people. Jethro Tull. What's your favorite Jethro Tull song? Uh, oh, man. Oh, I'm, I'm going to tell you a quick Jethro Tull story. Um, <laughs> Jethro Tull is a good part of the reason that I, that I had my got divorced um <laughs> i i am i am i love 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 jethro tall i've seen them who doesn't 10 times they're 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 just, they're just great ian anderson the the one the electric flute yeah, yeah i mean yeah how bad can it be so so um my my ex-wife was this, is this wonderful person hospice social worker um oh, and wow. she very rarely left me alone with kids for a very good reason and um uh um so my my kid was in first grade and I was, I was, she was out at a conference and she, they came home with an assignment. We need your mom or dad's favorite song. So my favorite song was Aqualung by Jeff. No, so no. I did like a set of Aqualung, you know, <laughs> you know, sitting on a park bench, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. not running down his nose, greasy yep. fingers, smearing. Yeah. Um, so, um, of course she, w she was on the call list. And the first grade teacher goes, Betsy, what were you thinking? You know, everybody else gave Mary Had a Little Lamb, Itsy Bitsy Spider. <laughs> and Lynn's crying because, you know, like, like she, you know, she, 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 you know, like, and of course I get the call from like, like, are, are you a maniac? And I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Horrible, and I made the horrible mistake of trying to like take the aggrieved. 
Uh, uh-huh. I happen to know Neil Berkowitz's favorite song is not Itsy Bitsy Spider. <laughs> yeah. like, what are we teaching these kids that we're, that we're lying to them? It did not Right, 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 right. You should have fucked it. Yeah, never fucked it. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Johnny. Uh, the, great, the great thing about Jethro Tull. What's is, your favorite song? What? Uh, skating Away on the Thin Ice of a New Day. All right. Okay. Um, uh, who's your favorite all-time sixer? My favorite, Moses Malone. Nice. Did you have a signature tag sign-off when you were DJing? Um, the, <laughs> that, um, this is little Stevie Kent. <laughs> <laughs> this is little Stevie Kent, and you're waking up, and I'm going to sleep. <laughs> I love that you, like, lowered your voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he got all into it. Little Stevie yeah. Kent on WYSP. <laughs> Um, you you are a um, Star Trek fan, I think. You go you go uh, Kirk or Spock. Yeah, it was, well, no, my my one more funny story. My my Wharton MBA thesis. You have to do like this thesis, and it, like usually it's hyperinflation in Argentina or macroeconomics in the the Japan yen versus the dollar. Mine was. Um, the difference in management styles between Captain Kirk and Captain Picard. <laughs> <laughs> nice. and, and I got called into the dean because I said, you know, this isn't a joke. And I said, it's really That's nice. A gr- I would love and that. I, yeah. I said, I'm a guy in college. I don't know anything about hyperinflation <laughs> in Argentina or options. <laughs> right. so I, they actually use it now at Wharton that you can do something weird and still do it right. So, so the, the um, 30 second version of that is Captain Kirk was a great charismatic leader, a really lousy manager. So would you go? Would you go, Team Kirk or Team Spock? Well, I would go. I would go, Team Kirk. Yeah, I, would, I, I love that. Look, look, I mean, you've seen the Family Guy thing, right? All right, we're gonna do. We're gonna be on the away team. Not one of us isn't gonna make it. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I'm gonna go. Let's see, uh, Spock, Bones. Yeah. I'll go. And then oh, this guy, New Lenson Reef. Why don't you join us? <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm, I'm so. I'm not glad. getting on that goddamn <laughs> shit. Right. But if you think about it, Kirk. Would make a speech and everybody would follow him. He, right. And then Spock yeah. and, and, and everybody else did all the work. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, the card had everything figured out, was a master chess player. But, you know, like he never wanted to play with the kids and he never wanted to really have fun. Yeah, and, he was all know, business. The, the doctor always wanted to date him and, you know, he just was never. <laughs> yeah, so it's much better to be Kirk. And, and no, right. it's Spock. You got to live in that half human, half Vulcan thing. And, call, you know, it's like, you know, you know, nobody wants to do that. You know, it's like, <laughs> nobody. Uh, what historical figure would you most want to have dinner with? Oh, God, that, that, that's really a good one. Um, I, I'm going I'm to I'm going to say uh, Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I think I think he's probably got so many amazing stories. Yeah, you can go Jerry Blavitt. He's got good stories, too. And he knew Frank you know, Sinatra. You know, Jerry and I are twin sons of different mothers. You know, I, <laughs> you know, like, I just saw him at uh, Spread Bagel. I go. My man, he goes pots and pans. Pots and pans. <laughs> pots and pans. Do you, for our audience listeners, what is your favorite? If you have one, doctor joke. Um. Let's see. Uh, gosh. Um. 
Well, I can I can give you an obstetric uh, obstetric story. Sure. <laughs> this, this is a real one. Um, so we used to give people for this is back in the eighties for premature labor when somebody is in labor early and we need to stop the labor. Now we have very sophisticated things. We used to give them IV alcohol. Okay. And um, you know, and because it's a smooth muscle relaxer, but you know, you can imagine what happens. Mm -hmm. so this one patient and the. You know, she was just beating up on on this on this guy. She was a pretty large woman. He was a small guy. He was trying to read the book and give her cold compresses, and she was get the, get that off me, blah 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 blah. So we start giving her IV alcohol, and she gets more abusive to him. <laughs> and it was like really getting uncomfortable. And then finally, like he goes, but honey, you know, it says here, you know, that I have to go and put cold. And he goes, she goes, get that, you know, darn thing off of me. It's not your baby, anyhow. Oh man! Oh man! Back then we didn't have phones; we had pagers. I go beep beep beep. Oh man! Oh, did he stay and like finish the job? It turns out it was not his baby. Oh man! Wow, that's horrible. Yeah, I was thinking you're gonna be like, you know, rear. I don't know. Rear, rear what? You know, like you know the the proctologist jokes and stuff. There are some good ones, but I. It's probably not the best. Yeah, thing. that's a good one. All right, Greg. Uh, as someone follically challenged, I understand the importance of accessories, hats, sneakers, glasses. You have great glasses all the time. Where do you get them? Do you get them in town? No, I got, I, I actually, you know, my wife used to work for Vogue and got, uh, got me these, I think in France. Um, um, nice. But um, I got, I get my sun, I got really cool sunglasses. Actually, I'll put them on. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. <laughs> I got these from our partner at Will's Eye. Now tell me this, that, like, like even I don't look cool on these. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you look like you should be doing some golfing or fishing for sure. Yeah. Oh, or DJ. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that air horn. Hey, wow, this, wow, wow. hey, it's little Stevie. I'm going to bed. Let's see if you can. <laughs> years later. <laughs> oh, wow. All right, man. We so much appreciate it, Steve. Fantastic interview, awesome. man. Yeah, Thank you. Really Thanks a lot, man. You're really doing, you're doing good stuff, man. I really, really appreciate it. For the community, you're like killing it. Oh, look, you know, Philadelphia is a great place. We have to figure out how to, how to all get together. We have to get over ourselves. And, uh, you know, anything that, that you guys and, and the folks that are listening to you think that we can do better, we're all into it. I mean, this is, you know, we, it, this is not a Hallmark card, but our mission at Jefferson is we improve lives and we take that like really, really, really seriously. So um, I appreciate you saying that and, uh, and we want to be uh, the best we can be. And, and, you know, thanks for, uh, for letting me be cool for one night. Yeah, man. Awesome <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was great. You're really Thank cool. You so much, yeah, thanks a lot. Right, take yeah. care, take guys. Easy. Just the sound of Philadelphia. Love. Brothers covered in blood, the man's office is covered in bugs, the youth dreams cut short.